Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Folks, I'm really excited about our next guest, Dr. Kevin Sabetta. I've followed his uh, career being in law enforcement myself for 40 years about drug policy in this country. And uh, he has uh, implemented drug policy for more than 25 years. He's been featured on the front page of the New York Times and in virtually every major media publication and news channel. Uh, Dr. Sabet is an author, three different books. The first, Reefer Sanity, Seven Great Myths About Marijuana. There was a, a second edition to that in 2018. And his most recent book, Smokescreen, What the Marijuana Industry Doesn't Want You to Know. He has a very interesting perspective on drug policy and he advised the bill clinton administration the barack obama administration and george w bush administration as well dr sabet welcome to the show thanks for having me sheriff it's wonderful to be on uh doc i know we've got a lot to unpack here in a very short period of time so i'm just going to let you talk uh, about what we're seeing today i have probably seen every youtube video you've ever done i've followed everything that you've said and there was one thing that I want to open up with. There was a great uh, comment that you made about marijuana and the pot shops. And, and you said uh, in, in, I forgot the presentation, it may have been at Princeton or something. You said, take me to the good neighborhoods where the pot shops are. About the marketing of what's going on. Yeah, well, I appreciate you. Again, thanks for having me on. It's a, it's an honor. Um, you know, you have great people in New Orleans doing amazing work that I, I just try and learn from and works beside. I, I've worked with uh, the great people at the Greater New Orleans Drug Demand Reduction Coalition for so long, um, Stephanie Haynes and Susanna Rosovich and, and so many of them. And I'm lucky to be coming uh, into town uh, later next week to speak at YPO. Young President's organization, and also see some, uh, you know, some some of my colleagues. So, um, you're, you're, you guys have a great place there, and uh, you know, the issue is p- people don't realize how much uh, the drug culture does hurt our communities. I've never met any parent, I've never met any law enforcement official, I've never met any clergyman, I've never met anyone who said that they they would be better off if more people use drugs, right? You know, no mom says, if only my, my you know, husband and, and kids used more drugs, we'd be, be a better off family. No community's ever said that before. So it, it's really it's really just common sense. Uh, you know, when, when today, we're talking about, at least with marijuana, today's marijuana, it's been genetically bred to be a completely different drug than it used to be. This is not Woodstock weed. And so, you know, a lot of uh, the, the baby boomers and Gen X also, uh, when they think about marijuana, they're really thinking about a drug that doesn't resemble what's out there today at all. It doesn't resemble what 
kids are actually using and seeing today at all. And that's where a lot of the disconnect comes from. Um, and so I, people don't realize that the potency, the strength, and what that does to you and your body really does affect you in ways that it really, in brand new ways that we've never seen before. What is the hesitancy to the realization? You made a comment that, unfortunately, we have to live the harm before we wake yeah. up to the danger. Yes, yeah. You know, I think sometimes we have to learn the hard way in our, in our country. You know, it's, it's the flip side to our incredible and, and amazing freedom and liberty that we have in this country. And it's, I mean, I owe my life to it. My, my parents immigrated here in the mid-1960s, and um, my dad was the first one to come to America. And, you know, he did so because uh, he knew he'd have a better life for his family, better than anywhere in the world, that he'd have more chances and more freedom than anywhere in the world. And, and he was right, and I benefit from that. The flip side of that is sometimes we don't realize the responsibility that comes with freedom. And so we have to learn the hard way when things go south. And, you know, we have to, we have to you know, sometimes burn one of our fingers off to realize that the stove is hot. Maybe we shouldn't touch the burner on the stove. Um, the, the prime example of that, I would say, is cigarettes. I mean, if you look at tobacco, um, you know, tobacco was used for thousands and thousands of years uh, in multiple cultures, way more prevalent than any substance, including opium, including hashish, marijuana, including arguably alcohol. And, uh, you know, it never really, it, 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 of course, nothing's ever good, that was never good for you, but um, it didn't, it never killed at the scale that it has over the last hundred years. And the reason that changed is because uh, technology uh, allowed us to create mass-produced cigarettes, which we'd never had cigarettes before. It was always just, you know, pipe tobacco. Uh, and then we coupled that with the mass marketing machine that is only, you know, that is very uniquely American. And when you put those two things together over the last hundred years, we've created a weapon of mass destruction that is far greater than any other actual weapon of mass destruction that man has created. And, you know, to this day, cigarettes or tobacco kills over 400,000 people a year in America. And we have one of the lowest levels of smoking in recent history. And yet it still kills that many people. And it's because uh, we, the, the technology created cigarettes and, and, and you had these companies that it was all about the dollar. And, and as, as a country, we didn't want to hear anybody saying anything about it. You know, when Joe Califano raised alarm in the 1960s, people didn't want to hear it. When the Surgeon General raised alarm, people didn't want to hear it. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, really everybody knew someone who died of lung cancer. And we all remember the commercials of the people who had to speak through their throats through a microphone and a, and a tape recorder. It wasn't through until that. And then the lawyers got involved and they, you know, started peeling back the onion. And they found out that the tobacco industry knew that tobacco and smoking was bad for your health and caused cancer as early as the 1930s and yet covered it up and, and marketed to kids and covered that up. And it wasn't until the whole thing blew up, you know, 20 some years ago that people actually woke up. And now the average kid is, you know, smoking is just not, not something that is as common as nearly as common as it used to be 30 years ago. That's an example of, we, we didn't listen for, you know, took us 70 years from the thirties to the early two thousands to listen to anybody on this. And with marijuana, we're just repeating the exact same history. People have an outdated notion of what marijuana is, 
there's an industry that is 10 steps ahead of anybody that is developing technologies and products that are appealing to kids, that are appealing to adults who would never normally use marijuana, but hey, it's in a gummy now. So, okay, I don't have to smoke it, stink up the house, I can use a gummy. Oh, I can use a, you know, another kind of edible, an ice cream, a soda, uh, one of these vapes, you know, these vape cartridges now with the technology of electronic cigarettes, vape cartridges extremely popular among kids and adults alike and so you know this is now happening and so what's what's ironic is i now hear from people in states that have legalized uh, parents and elected officials even who said you know man i i wish we knew about how bad it was going to be before it actually happened because you know now i'm living with a kid for example in the throes of a marijuana induced psychosis you know now i'm living with a with a with a with a kid that is you know d- d- developmentally cognitively disabled now i'm not living with my kid because they died by suicide and they wrote in their suicide note literally that marijuana made them do it you know these kinds of horror stories that we're hearing across the country and the data is backing up it's not just anecdotes it's actually backed up by peer-reviewed science um we're now hearing this and Unfortunately, we have to hear it too late, even though we were, have been warning people about this for so long. And so it's amazing the stories and the support that we have now. Ironically, as the states have legalized marijuana more and more, as marijuana is more normalized and commercialized, it's funny. We're at, as an organization, SAM, this is learnaboutsam.org. SAM, we're, I mean, getting more inquiries, frankly, more donations, more support than we were 10 years ago when we were, or when then certainly I was when I was just at a lone crusader on this 20 years ago, didn't have an organization really, um, much more traction now, ironically, as things have, got, have spread further. Doug, there are two issues, and I hear this all the time, and it drives me crazy. Uh, marijuana is a cottage industry, right? It's mom and pop shops that are going to be out there. And the second thing that I hear that is is a myth, in my view, is that the taxation of marijuana is going to lead to so many positive things. And in one of your talks, you talk about, you know, how much we've taxed tobacco, alcohol uh, as well. But yet in this country, there's no on-demand treatment available. And you wonder, you know, taxation, and I guess you have to ask the question, for what purpose, right? Well, exactly. I mean, you know, we can have taxation for anything, but when we um, when we actually look at the costs, then, you know, the taxation makes no sense. I mean, it's kind of like saying, um, you know, we're going to allow people to drive, you know, 120 miles per hour if they pay a $10,000 tax or something, you know, let's say $10,000 a month if you really want to uh, drive 120 miles per hour whenever you want. Well, if that 120 miles per hour, you know, zone is causing millions of dollars in car crashes, which, I mean, the average car accident in this country costs between one and $2 million in lost social costs. Um, if it's semi-serious, I mean, a little bit more than a fender bender. And we tax somebody $10,000 a month. Well, that tax is not paying for the problem. So who cares about the tax? That tax revenue is not helpful because it's actually causing it's a moral hazard it's causing more problems and again it's amazing a lot of elected officials don't want to hear it but it's not because they're not smart i think a lot of elected officials either are just completely ignorant and they just have too many other things they're dealing with they frankly don't really want to pay a lot of attention to this 
it's a kind of, I mean, frankly, most elected officials, they just, they don't want to pay a lot of attention to this issue because they have other issues that they find more important. And frankly, the average American finds more important too, or it's because they, they're getting on the bandwagon and they think they can, uh, you know, get um, votes and get young votes. And they've been kind of tricked into thinking that young people will go out and vote for them in droves if they embrace this issue. And that's really actually been disproven, you know, from a political perspective time and time again. Uh, and, um, you know, I think that that's a, just a huge, huge mistake this issue of tax revenue, alcohol and tobacco for every dollar we gain, by the way, costs us between 10 and $25 in social costs. So, I mean, you, we can, I'm not saying we should prohibit alcohol and tobacco. Culturally, they're here to stay. And so some people might be saying, well, Kevin, with your logic, shouldn't we just prohibit everything, alcohol, tobacco, all of it? Well, alcohol and tobacco have been ingrained in our Western civilization for thousands of years. It's very hard to just kind of um, you know, put, uh, you know, close the lid on those. We're paying the price, by the way. Definitely not an example if we can help it to to, to base anything new off of. Um, but we're not going to be prohibiting it. But we need to understand we pay a big cost. We we lose a lot of money, billions and billions of dollars. Not to mention all the heartache. Everybody knows somebody who's been affected by alcohol or tobacco or both. So that's just kind of a deal with the devil that we've made. And what I, what we're trying to say is, do we want to make more deals with the devil? Like, do we want to replicate something that's been such an unmitigated, frankly, from a public health perspective, an unmitigated disaster? No. Why would we? If we can control it, if we can help it, I'd rather have 5%, 8% of Americans use marijuana occasionally or even once a month than 40% of Americans using it legally once a month or occasionally. And that's a trade-off. I'm not saying we're going to get rid of it all. I'm not saying you know, we're going to snap our fingers. We have the answers. Marijuana. Marijuana was here before it was legal. It's here after it's legal. It's going to be here to stay for a while. But we can reduce and mitigate as much as possible without, you know, the instead of doing the opposite, which would be just, uh, you know, what we're doing, actually, which is to commercialize it, glamorize it, normalize it to the point that a lot of people are getting hurt. And there is, uh, you call it the false dichotomy, right, uh, dealing with the medicalization, legalization, normalization of marijuana. Absolutely. It is the normalization and, and commercialization of marijuana. That's exactly what it is. And uh, it's not really, when people see legalization, they think of an adult smoking a joint in the privacy of their own home or, you know, something like that where, hey, uh, we, I don't want people bothering me. I don't want to feel like a criminal. Uh, that is very different than what the reality is. The reality is it is mass commercialization and normalization and, and like I said, glamorization. It's promotion. It's politicians and companies promoting it, not saying they'll tolerate it. It's way beyond toleration. Uh, and uh, that, and we've never really, I mean, you know, sort of, I, in our country, we do commercialization very well. I mean, you can say what you want about manufacturing and how, you know, Going to another country is, you know, it might be cheaper to make a window or make a toy. But when it comes to marketing that window or marketing that toy, we do it better than anyone else, whether it's social media, traditional media, et cetera. And so that's what we're doing with marijuana today. And then again, we're paying a price. 20 million plus Americans are addicted to marijuana as we speak, according to the Health and Human Services survey that just came out. And that's probably an undercount, by the way. That's only who we know. Um, you know, that includes millions of young people. That includes so many, as you said, 
people who can't get treatment and we're the richest country in the world. That makes absolutely no sense. And so this is, this is really the problem. We need to make it easier to get treatment, easier to get prevention than it is to get drugs. And right now we have it completely backwards. Let's talk about uh, what you just mentioned. It's, it's Schedule 1. Why? Well, that's really uh, a very good question, and there's a lot of misnomers about it. So let's let's back up here. So scheduling was a system that Congress created in 1970 when they drafted the Controlled Substances Act. By the way, the Controlled Substances Act gets a lot of bad raps. If you actually look at the history, and I'm writing a book on this right now, uh, it was uh, very much bipartisan legislation, the Controlled Substances Act. In fact, it repealed its very strict mandatory minimum laws that were around in the 50s in the Boggs Act. So people who want to demonize the CSA and Nixonian politics of 1970 need to understand it was actually a fairly moderate piece of legislation, number one. That's just a little historical kind of footnote. But what happened was they created these schedules, and they basically they were schedules that were not about the harmful, not about the penalties. It wasn't like if you're a Schedule 1, it's a worse penalty than if you're a Schedule 2. Actually, it wasn't like that at all. It was just these categories, and um, what happened was they created this category that said, if you're a drug that has no accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse, you're going to be called a Schedule 1 drug. If you're a drug that might have some accepted medical use, but still high potential for abuse, because there's plenty of drugs like that, that's a Schedule II drug. And then it went on and on from there So to Schedule five. And Schedule II drugs, for example, cocaine is a Schedule II drug. Why? Because in very limited, frankly, very rare procedures in the, in the hospital, a little bit of the cocaine, the bicarbonate soda that then becomes cocaine, that can be used for uh, surgeries, for numbness, et cetera. And so that, by definition, has to be a Schedule II drug because there's even some accepted medical use, and it's an approved drug to be used in those settings. Very high potential for abuse, very dangerous, but still if that makes it a Schedule II. Okay. So Schedule I. People think Schedule I means like the most horrible, you know, demonic, horrendous drugs. And so you have heroin, you have LSD, you have PCP, which we know is extremely dangerous. And you have marijuana. And some people say, well, how could you have marijuana next to heroin and, P- you know, PCP? Because, you know, again, people's outdated versions of marijuana. Let's just grant that for a minute, even though today's marijuana actually, we know, actually makes you violent. In fact, side note, if you want to look at one of the common denominators, not the only one, one of the common denominators of every single mass, most mass shooters, not every single, most mass shooters in the last 15 years, marijuana is a common denominator. It didn't, it didn't chill them out. Let's put it that way. Um, but anyway, that aside, marijuana side by, and they say, well, how could it be side by side? And Elizabeth Warren says, how could it be side by side? And I, I've actually explained this to her in private. I thought she understood, but you know, public people, the politicians say different things. Um, he says, uh, marijuana, basically the reason it's in schedule one is because it doesn't have accepted medical use. Now there are versions of marijuana, components of marijuana that have accepted medical use, absolutely. And so that's great. And um, those can be scheduled two, three, four, whatever. And, um, and, and, and so um, they are, by the way. There's a, we have a marijuana derivative in Schedule 5. That's a, a CBD oil. We have a 
of marijuana. It's a very specific kind of CBD oil, not the kind you buy at you know, CVS, but it's a very specific kind. Uh, we have a pill called Marinol. That's now a Schedule Three drug, so okay, that's there. Um, so we have marijuana-based medications that are not Schedule One, but marijuana itself you needed to be in Schedule One because it doesn't have accepted medical use, and this has been like a point of contention for marijuana enthusiasts for 40 years. I mean, they are so offended at the fact that marijuana is a schedule one and they really, if they can't legalize marijuana overnight federally, which is very hard to do, they at least want to be able to reschedule it so that they can kind of get those headlines that say marijuana is not very dangerous or it's been downgraded, whatever. So, Fast forward to today. Oh, by the way, there have been multiple reviews over the last 20 years. In the Obama administration, in the waning days, they could have easily rescheduled it. People wouldn't have paid much attention. Uh, they didn't do that. In fact, they wrote a very strong report, the FDA, saying, sorry, marijuana doesn't pass any of the five tests it needs to pass to, be a, to not be a Schedule One. It doesn't even pass one of those tests. So, sorry, it's a Schedule One. Fast forward to today, the issue becoming so political Basically, you know, Biden has said he's against the legalization of marijuana. He's been very firm on that. In fact, he created the drug czar's office. He's very anti-drug. But I think a lot of his advisors and maybe his vice president, who's pretty pro-marijuana, said, you know, uh, we got to do something on this. Uh, We got to look somewhat progressive. We can't just let it go alone. We're, you know, it's a Democratic administration. We got to do something. It's a popular issue among young people. A lot of Democrats, most of them are in favor of this. What can we do? So my my belief is that they kind of struck a compromise and said, all right, we're not going to legalize it, but let's reschedule it. That'll give them a moral victory, but we're not going to legalize it because we don't want to do that. And so they ordered the Health and Human Services Department to do a review. Okay, we're going through the process, do a review again, just like the one we did in the Obama administration. Let's do it again. And if anyone's been following the science, they can tell you that, you know, the science has gotten worse on marijuana. It hasn't gotten, it hasn't shown that marijuana is less harmful it's shown the opposite but anyhow okay let's go do another review and see what we find well lo and behold the fda hired frankly and i know this a bunch of new people and they did the review that hhs told them to do and all of a sudden at 4:20 p.m about six months ago or so which is 4:20 is the stoner time of day you know the marijuana marijuana time of day is 4:20. At 4.20 p.m., uh, which I found quite distasteful and unprofessional, they released on Twitter that they are recommending to the DEA, because it has to go through that process, that marijuana becomes a Schedule Three drug, meaning it has accepted medical use and a lower potential of abuse than Schedule One or Two. And, you know, I was just dumbfounded when I saw that. I, I, I knew it had to have been a political decision because you can't have a review that happened in 2016 that was so scathing, where the federal government was so clear, and then all of a sudden do such a 180 that to make it a Schedule Three drug. Now, that doesn't legalize the drug, but it would allow companies to deduct business expenses, which will allow them to advertise a lot more, and it would also, frankly, just send the message further down the road that this is, that this is a you know, safe drug. And um, now it's in the DEA's corner, and so the DEA will be ruling on it. could be any day now. We've been very clear that, you know, you can create a new scheduling system if you want, but please don't pretend that marijuana one all of a sudden has accepted medical use just because a couple of, you know, 40 states have deemed it medicine. That is a 
terrible precedent. That tells me if I'm a pharma company, why would I go through a multi-billion dollar FDA process to get my medicine approved? I should just run a couple of ads in a bunch of big states and convince people that my pill is a magic pill in medicine, even though science says it isn't. And all of a sudden, that's the new standard for accepted medical use. So that's, that's where we're, I don't know if that made sense, if that was too complicated, but that's where we are with no, it. No, it did. And, and there's a whole lot to unpack. I know you got to go because you've got some more interviews that you're, you're conducting. We really appreciate your time uh, spent with us today. I'm going to try and have you back on the show, if you don't mind, because I think there's still a lot, a lot of issues to unpack on this, a lot of urban myths around this. Yes. Um, yes. And that big tobacco, big alcohol, big pharma, this is not a cottage industry. All of those folks are playing a part in this legalization and normalization movement that folks need to really be aware of. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We truly appreciate it and look forward to uh, uh, your visit here on February 23rd to the Young President's Organization. Sarah Norman, thanks so much. I'm happy to be on anytime. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.